everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me as usual is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, partners, and howdy, partner. Hello. Uh, welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode number 138. We are all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, dice games, things of that sort, and beer. And we've kind of already pre-gamed this episode a bit because... Delty was getting these beers out of the little little beer holder, and one of them popped open, and we could not let it go the waste ethically. And so we've already split this beer earlier today, about an hour ago. It was delicious, and we're going to tell you all about it now. What are we drinking today, Delty Poo? So today, the first beer of the episode is from Cockendorfer Brewing Company, which we've had a couple different times on the podcast now. We've had their Ruby Porter, we've had their Stout, and we've had their Irish Red. Yes, and it has quickly become one of our favorite breweries because every beer that they put out is just very solid. It is a very flavorful beer. It is a very uh, heavy beer at times. And the artwork is also phenomenal. Like this one shows a Kraken. Yes, there's like a pirate catching something in a glass. And then there's a Kraken and some stuff. But this is from, again, Cockendorfer Brewing Company out of Duncan, Oklahoma. It is a 12-fluid-ounce can, IBU 63, and a 6.84% alcohol by volume, New England IPA. It said, we add five pounds of hops per barrel to this East Coast-style IPA. Uh, this results in citrusy, tropical fruit aromas with the juicy flavors of pineapple, grapefruit, coconut, mango, and tangerine. This might have to be a bin beer. This might, be ha- might have to be one we bring back to him. This is a good bin beer because it's, I mean, it's a New England hazy IPA if you uh, if you happen to be supporting us on Patreon and I don't screw it up, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry to our Patreon backers. Apparently, I had the directory going to the wrong place to a folder that is non-existent, and somehow it got we we created the video, and then I think somehow it got deleted, but it wasn't in my recycle bin. And I scoured this computer. I opened my recording software and hit record, stop recording, and looked at like where did it record to, and it just doesn't. The last episode doesn't exist. So I'm sorry to all my patrons that that video of episode 137 about beer and bread uh, is non-existent. However, we're back at 138. I've already pre-tested the directory now. I have a specialized folder that every screenshot and every video podcast will automatically record to, and that's where it's going to stay. We so, can just act out the last one. We'll make a new video. I mean, it's just us yapping at each other about stuff. It's basically just going to be both of us going with the microphone in front of our mouths. She's just moving her hands back and forth. We'll just do this. Yes, but that's essentially it. But anyway, if you would like to be like our other patrons and watch the videos when I do it right, you can head to patreon.com slash malthousegames and check us out and donate at any level if you would like. And uh, you will see this crazy hazy beer here. You will see the crazy hazy beer. Uh, some of our amazing patrons that back at a level in which they get shouted out on the podcast is Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you so much for backing at that level. We have some other amazing patrons, uh, which will show up in this video by name in the middle of the screen whenever I get it edited, as long as I still did everything correctly. It still shows recording. We're okay. Magically. Yes. But this is a beer. Super, super hazy. You cannot see through the glass by the amount of haze. You can smell the citrusy hops Mm. very strongly. Haley's taking her first drink now. What do you think of it, Haley? I think it's really, really good. It's very pungent. It's almost, it's almost punchy enough that it sort of dries out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't linger too long on the tongue. You know, you have, sometimes you have an IPA 
and the bitterness lasts for a while, like the bitterness kind of creeps towards the front of the tongue and back towards the tongue long after you have swallowed. But this one, like it, like Dell says, it punches you and you kind of have like a citrusy aftertaste, but the bitterness doesn't stay very long. They do a pretty good job. Like I, um, I keep trying to think of a good analogy for it. For me, the bitterness lingers a bit on the tongue. That might just be for me. But oh, I also man. feel like that citrus citrusiness kind of dries the flavor out as it goes through, even though you're drinking something wet. You know how you have like a dry cider? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. And my But the thing is, my mouth is watering now. So it's like this weird effect for me. It's a delicious effect for me. It's a very good, solid New England IPA. I think they've everything, like you said, Cockendorfer does, they just make solid. And we're already about finished with the second half of this beer. So it's about to be a fun episode. Uh, I sure hope so. Jeez. We'll be cracking into another crack in here in a second. We don't have any in here. It can be arranged. <laughs> so what have we done the past two weeks? What do you mean, what have we done? You got this sweet-ass video here. I did get a sweet-ass video. Uh, we went to, uh, here, I'll turn it around. We went to a uh, antique store, consignment antique store out in uh, Clinton, Oklahoma, when we were visiting Haley's sister in Elk City. And we're walking through this place, and I looked at the comics I could find, nothing that I really wanted to take home. But I happened to see a VHS of Challenge of the Gobots de-invasion. It is all in German. It's only a seven-minute video, and it's from 19... Uh, it looks like this is the 88. So 86 was the original Hanna-Barbera, and then 88, it looks like it was the international version, which is what this is. And I just love it. If you don't know what Gobots are, they're essentially shitty Transformers. Yes. They are like shitty Transformers, but worse. And I really want anybody that watches this to know and see the weird size VHS. Like, this feels like it's an odd size. And I don't know if that's just me, but this feels like an extra small VHS tape. I, I don't know why, but it's, yeah. I love the very front of this. Octung! And immediately, warning, this film uh, is for private use... Uh, Überspielung? I don't know what that means. You know what I love best about like 80s and 90s cartoons? They're ridiculous. They go hard in the paint. It's like whenever we watched uh, Gargoyles and like there was the episode whenever oh, there I was like a potential suicide yep. attempt. It was kind of framed that way. This is Ein Kampf um Leben und Tod beginnt. A fight between life and death begins. Like this is a seven minute cartoon <laughs> targeted towards six year olds. And it's like, we're going to talk about a fight between life and death. We're going to do it. I love it. So this says VHS beta? Is that like an older version of VHS? It's probably a bootleg of some sort. I'm not going to even going to No, lie. this is legit is the thing. I love right here. It recommends 12 and older. Oh, okay. <laughs> so maybe it's for 12-year-olds. So only 12-year-olds and up can experience the fight between life and death. But here's the thing. I bought this for like $2, and I literally set it on the counter along with, what was the other thing I bought? Uh, you bought a little single. Of... Oh, it was an original single from 76? 75. Whenever Star Wars came out. Original single, like, uh, record, album, vinyl, of the Star Wars theme on one side and the cantina music on the other. And I was like, I have to have it. It's $4. Why would I not buy that? Will you set that over there? I will. I need to look this up now. Uh, what else have we been doing, aside from visiting your sister in the Lakin and going to some antique stores out there? So, like Delty said, we went antiquing, which was really, really fun. Uh, this last weekend, we stayed at home, which was nice. We did some cleaning. We spent a lot of money at the Asian market stocking up on stuff. And uh, really, that's about it. You know, the last couple of weeks have been pretty quiet. Uh, I mean, you can't really top getting a German variation of GoBots. So everything is quiet when compared to that. 
Uh, I did get to hire me an assistant at work, an education assistant to help me at work, and she is phenomenal. And I always like she's she's a really great worker and is a really really awesome person. I always say like the anxiety in me sees the anxiety in you because we both have like the same level of anxiety when it comes to doing things right at work. So it's a great fit. Really love Sydney. If you're listening, thank you for being awesome, Sydney. I'm glad that it's working out so well uh, for her working with you and gives you a fun friend at work to chat with and stuff. Yeah. And so uh, been working hard, planning trainings, planning world domination, talking about GoBots, listening to records, got a new chair. Uh, yeah, wild and crazy times in the Twyman Brack household. Is that so? We've also <laughs> been playing some games. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So I guess before we get to the game, even though we just did the transition, we do have uh, comments to be made. Editor's note, if you will. My German uh, 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 challenge of the GoBots is indeed a VHS, but the case can also take, it said beta, the Betamax, which was like a competitor to VHS was Betamax. Which and, one won? Well, which one did we continue having? Neither. VHS. VHS <laughs> one hardcore. No. Um, uh, that VHS, I guess, is standard size. It felt tiny in my hand, but like Haley said, I haven't actually used a VHS tape in ages. He's, I have he's only grown like four or five. Then. I've grown a lot since then, I a think. A lot since then. So, yes, yeah, side note, editor's note uh, on the origins of the GoBots and why the case looks wonky. It is a VHS. It just can also, that case can hold Betamax, whatever. Anyway. Let's take this baby to Antiques Roadshow. Haley had introduced this section as we've played some games recently because we have played some games recently. And I won all of them this weekend. Okay, Dick. <laughs> one of the things, though, one of the games we played uh, is technically a solo game. However, we played it as a team because I thought that would be A, more fun, B, I would get to experience it, and C, we can talk about the different things together and go through the experience together to point things out to each other. And it would be not only more fun for us, but it would also be, I think, better content for the podcast. So the game for this episode is Heading Forward, a solitaire game about recovering from a traumatic brain injury. I have a, you can see the cover of it in the Patreon video, and if not, you'll be able to look this up online. Uh, Heading Forward is published from Hollenspiel, or Hollenspiele. They are a U.S. company. The game, Heading Forward, is designed by John Dubois, the art is Amabel Holland. Art consultant is Aaron Escobedo. Rules editing is Travis Hill and Mary Holland. Rules layout is Mary Holland. Photography, Mary Holland. Specialist consultation, Christine Dubois. So this game is a game designed by the designer, John Dubois, and it is based on his own experience recovering from a traumatic brain injury. I just want to read the back of this real quick, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead and read the back of the box. It says, a car crash, a sports injury, a workplace accident, a slip and fall at home. Any one of these could have brought you where you are today, a dramatic brain injury. But this game is not about how you got here. The game is about what happens next. Exactly. So this is one that was on my radar as being a game that is reflective, as, a, as being a game that is trying to get you in a way to experience something that you're unlikely to experience. And I've heard very good things about it, and I believe it came out in 21 or 22. So it's still fairly recent. Um, Hollenspiel, if you don't know the company, they only produce, uh, most of their games, I feel like, are designed by Amabel, but they only produce these uh, print-on-demand games, and they're all very specific and very unique. So we have 
a title that they no longer have the license of, uh, which is an infamous traffic. It's a Cole Wordly game that he's going to be working on with his company, with his brother in Wordly Gig Games. They also have one that we have on the shelf we just haven't got to yet, a two-player game called This Guilty Land, and it's about the political system that failed uh, the African-Americans or the, I get, you know, the slaves that were brought over, uh, well, the system that failed them in the United States that's supposed to be for all people. Uh, that same system is used for another game. I can't think of the name of it, but it's about suffragettes and uh, women, women being able to vote. And then they also have a new game called Endurance about the trip to Antarctica, uh, Dinosaur Gage, which I've got. They have Dual Gage, all kinds of other games, Masters of Britain, Field of Golden Cloth, all kinds of stuff. And it's all these unique, interesting games, a bunch of which are designed by Amabel herself. And you can only buy their games through their own website. And they do have a higher cost, uh, which can put some people off of it because they are print on demand. They don't tend to keep a lot of, if any, stock just on hand. They don't have a warehouse, anything like that. So for a game like Heading Forward, it's a rule book. It's a very small canvas printed board. Uh, a handful of tokens and like 36 cards. And I want to say the game's 40, 30, also, 35 or $40. Has some cutout spoons too. Yeah, the little tokens, like cutout spoons and some little, uh, they're laser cut wood. Um, but they, all of their productions are this way. A lot of their boards are just paper, like a nice paper that's folded. Uh, you can get canvas maps for a couple of their games. But uh, it really makes it where a lot of people haven't heard of Hollenspiel. They don't know about their games. Or their games are sometimes a little inaccessible because they are print-on-demand. They take a little bit to get to you, and they're a little bit higher priced for the contents within the box, not the content of the game itself, which yes. tends to be a valuation within board games that I feel like is starting to shift a bit, but not quite. Yes, because the, the content of the games, like we haven't played a Hollandspiel game that we have been disappointed with. No, not yet. It's, it's been, they've all been well worth their money, even if the components are you know, not as fancy as other games. The The gameplay itself, the actual game is well worth it. And that's what we're getting in here to, to in, oh my gosh, and that's what we're getting into here today with Heading Forward. So as Haley said, uh, Heading Forward is all about not how you got traumatic brain injury, but how to recover from it and the journey of recovery. And this is all written from somebody who has been through traumatic brain injury himself, John Dubois, the designer. The objective of this game your insurance provider has approved rehabilitation for 15, 12, or 10 rounds, the length of time allowed depending on what level of plan you or, you or your employer were able to afford. Essentially, for game terms, that's difficulty. You either get 15, 12, or 10 rounds of difficulty. Uh, you must complete therapy goals in three different areas in that span of time. Otherwise, your insurance will determine you uh, have not made adequate progress and will discontinue payment. Which is very sad. Uh, I told Haley I was happy that it wasn't one of those games because this is a game talking about a serious subject meant to be a seriously reflective game made by somebody who has experienced this. It's not one of those games where it's like, you have to do this or you die, which is, I feel like, what a lot of companies would do with something like this. Yes. And in a way, like, I know that death is theoretically more serious, but I think this hits a little harder. I think it hits that, more closer to home. Especially being an American. Yes. You know, and having to fight with insurance to get basic medical coverage sometimes. Exactly. So the way the game is going to work is you have a calendar board that has your either 15, 12, or 10 days, depending on where you start. You have a little marker that's like a red circle, so you're as if you're circling the day you're on. You put it on the day that you start and you begin. The game is really simple in terms of the way it plays. 
you're going to be drawing up according to your uh, basically the value of your brain, which is actually the uh, there is a brain token and you can gain brain. Uh, essentially, that is the value of your brain is how much you can draw, which is how many things you can how many cards you can hold in hand, which turn can turn into how many things you can like contemplate for a, a day. It's kind of like working memory. So working yes, memory is how go. much you can hold in your memory at, at one time. So like if you're memorizing a telephone number, like can you memorize, can you remember all seven numbers from the time you look at the paper to the time you make the phone call? Or is it more like six or more like two or more like 10? Exactly. So in this, you start with your brain at three and it can only go up. It will never go down. And you get all the way up to, is it eight? Yes, eight. I, I think it's the eight, which is a hell of a lot of cards and the game starts to fly by at that point. Uh, so you will draw up to your... Uh, hand limit, whatever your brain is at. And the cards you're going to get are different skill cards, and they can represent things uh, in th four different categories. Uh, the game technically puts them, they're different categories, they call them suits. There's the financial suit, the cognitive suit, the endurance suit, and the adaptability suit. Um, and so the way you can think of these, like in the financial suit, it's going to be shopping, it's going to be budgeting. In the cognitive suit, it could be your hobby or it could be education. Then they've got the endurance suit. I can't remember what some of those card specifics were for that. And the adaptability suit could just be like, uh, I think planning was one of the adaptability cards, which I really liked. It was just, you're focusing on planning. And so on your turn, you have a spoon. This game utilizes what is called spoon theory. And I'll read this from the book about it. And before I let you talk a little on it, if you want to, uh, the designer writes this note. He says, why spoons? The use of spoons as a resource in this game is based on Christine Miserandino's spoon theory as a visual reference for how people with lupus and other chronic illnesses have a limited amount of energy to complete their daily activities. Spoon theory is not a perfect analogy for head injury rehabilitation because many people with head injuries regain most of their pre-injury abilities. However, because I still use spoons as a reference for my own inconsistent energy levels following my head in injury, and because Spoon Theory frames the struggle of finding the resources to complete early head injury rehabilitation tasks, I felt it was appropriate to use in this game. So you start off with one spoon. One spoon, most cards when you play them, are going to take that spoon. So which means the rest of the other two cards you drew in your hand are just going to get discarded. And then when you draw your next three, you have a spoon that you could use for a, to play a card, and then the rest are going to get discarded. So you can do very little. And so if you have a hand of like five cards, you only have one spoon. Only one task is going to get your attention that day before the day is over. And I, Delton said earlier, you know, the further along you get in the game, the faster it goes. Like soon you're going to be holding, you know, eight cards in your hand and have five spoons and whatnot. And that, I feel like that is really good at replicating from what I understand, um, you know, on, on the clinical side of what it's kind of like to be in rehabilitation from a head injury. I'm glad that it does replicate that so well. Because, like, you, you got to think about your, your brain, even even if we don't have a head injury. Like, your brain is a muscle like any other. And so you have to practice things. So let's say you want to increase your working memory even as a human being. You know, secretaries have to, to typically have a uh, longer working memory than, like, average everyday folks who aren't secretaries because they're having to, you know, memorize telephone numbers, memorize email addresses, da 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 da, -da. And so the more that you use those skills, the easier it is and the faster you you can go through things as well. And so at first, it's really slow going. You're doing one thing at a time. You're feeling like you're just dragging your feet. And if you think about like anything that you've learned in your life, so whether it's a language, whether it is a new skill, you know, at first it seems very slow going. And then after a while, you're like, oh, I can do this a lot faster. It becomes more of a 
you don't even think about it anymore. Oh, I can do all because at the end of the game, it felt like we were doing all these things. Okay, I can do this, 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 and this. Okay, next game, I can do this, 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 this. Next game. It also got to the point where we can look forward to our next hands and kind of plan a little more um, because we got more abilities that allowed us to plan to the next turn. And so I think that kind of replicates that as well. Like, okay, I, I now have the cognitive capacity to be able to look more forward. And again, I've never had a traumatic brain injury, so I cannot speak on the individual level. But from what I understand as a clinician, I mean, this was really good at replicating some of those struggles and some of those successes too. And I imagine the game would be because it is created by a person who has experienced traumatic brain injury and has gone through his own recovery and wanted a way for people to understand that through a board game. And so I would, you know, I'm, it's, it's good to hear. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to play it with you was to point things out to you and also let you chime into different aspects of it and say, I really think this replicates this. Well, I really think this makes sense. And then sometimes if you do something like, well, I don't get that. And then I can point something out that I see maybe within the game mechanic. And then you relate it to what you've read about or learned about or had a maybe a client for something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And kind of tie it together to wrap that as a little, put a little bow on top of the understanding there for me. Yeah. As I had in, in graduate school, I had a professor who this was her specialty. Like she primarily worked with folks who had traumatic brain injury. She had a traumatic brain injury um, support group and a traumatic brain injury therapy group as well to kind of help folks, you know, connect with each other who've had traumatic brain injury. And she had people who are, you know, all along the spectrum, like those who just had a brain injury, those who are recovered or in recovery, and those who, you know, had a brain injury a long time ago, but they've had to just learn how to adapt. And so I, I really like how it shows, like, the different perspective, even within one game and one person. Uh, I I, I know that the individual who made this, you know, had a traumatic brain injury, and I'm so glad that he was able to sh- share his his story through this too. Oh, absolutely. So something this game does, um, like I said, you're going to play these cards. You're going to use your spoons. You'll slowly gain some money. You'll slowly gain more brain. You'll slowly gra- gain more spoons. Money was so hard to get. Money was very hard to get. Uh, money was definitely hard to get. It was probably the hardest resource for us to, to get a hold of. I feel like that would kind of be right, too. Uh, probably so, yes. In this one, it says uh, the money represents uh, your financial resources. Brains represent your cognitive capacity for tasks. Spoons represent your physical and emotional energy to complete tasks. So uh, to d- dive just a little bit further into it, because we've talked a lot about the way this game represents uh, this subject matter just based off what things are. Not even so much the true full mechanism of how the game's functioning and what your goal is. So your goal in this game is to complete four, uh, sorry, to complete three different, uh, what are these skills? Four. Three different skills out of the four. It's just three. I thought it was four out of five. No, three uh-huh. out of four. Three different skill cards. This is why he explains the rules. Out of the four different suits. So you could complete a skill card in the financial, the cognitive, and the endurance suit. You don't have to then complete one in the adaptability suit. So the way that works is when you play a card down, a card is broken down in a couple ways. First of all, every card is uh, divided horizontally, or sorry, yeah, it's split horizontally down the middle. The top half of the card is what you're focused on. The bottom half is basically an upgrade, which we'll talk about. But you want to make sure when you're shuffling the decks that the orientation stays the same, or else you will completely mess up the game. So the cards on top, they have a couple different things. They have a level, one, two, three, or four. They have either an hourglass, which is time, or heart, which is care. Those are extra resources to pay for cards. So when you play a card, it may cost a spoon and a time. So then you'll spend your spoon, put it to your used spoons, 
and you'll take another card from your hand that has that time, and you will just discard it. Nice and easy. Well, these cards have uh, three things that happen on them when you play them. If you play it, you must be able to ex- afford the expend action. That's essentially the cost. It's the expend cost. Uh, so, for example, the level three shopping card, the expend is two spoons. You must move two spoons over. You must have two available and move them over to used. Then there is an achieve. When you do that, you achieve whatever is in there. Under shopping, you achieve money. You gain one money for that. Then, if you can afford it and you want to, it has a progress box on that card. What happens is the progress box, whenever you pay whatever is in there, that card will then rotate 180 degrees to show the other half of that card. So I said that, you know, you take the card, draw a line right down the middle horizontally. The top half's level three, the bottom half's then level four. So once you do the level three, you are going to rotate the card so that way now the top's on the bottom, the bottom's on the top and you will have a level four skill in shopping. The level four skill in shopping, it's a little bit better in that instead of providing one time, it could provide two care, which is great. But to, when you expend two spoons, instead of getting one money, you can either gain brains or two money. So it's a better card. You are better at shopping now. You've worked on that skill of shopping. But then the actually true thing of the game is the progress box is changed to the complete box. And essentially it's a very high cost box that allows you to take that card at whatever level, or sorry, I guess at level four and complete it, which means it will come out of the deck completely and be one of the three that you want to complete to win the game. Now here's the key. Every single turn, you're going to be drawing three cards, especially in the beginning. You'll draw your three cards. You're going to be able to play one of them and you're going to be able to progress it because it's a free uh, progress action from level one to level two. So you'll flip the card. And then the next hand, you'll flip one to level two. The next hand, you'll flip one to level two. Then and you're going to do that for all of them until you uh, have no deck left. You're going to shuffle. You're going to move your time token from, for us, the 15 to the 14. So your time starts ticking. And you draw up to your full hand size, whatever, and keep going. All of those cards are going to upgrade. So the twos are going to be better than the ones. The three is better than the twos. Uh, just for a physical game reference, one of the cards are one and two. The three and fours are set to the side. So when you upgrade a level two, you will bring it out of the game and you'll bring in the level three, four card with the three side in the correct orientation. Pro tip, make sure you don't change your orientation when you shuffle. Yes, I did say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yes, it's critical not to, not to change orientation there. But here's the big kicker, right? You have to get three cards to complete, which means they have to be level four and you have to be able to afford to complete them. It's that completing one card is going to take 99% of all of your energy and resources. Or in some cases, it just requires that you have the appropriate brains and number of spoons for one of the cards that we had. You just had to hit that requirement. Well, here's the thing is if you start a turn and you play some stuff, And at the end of that turn, you're out of spoons, you can't play anything else, and you have a card that's anything higher than level one, it is going to go to the discard pile, your whole hand does it, you can't play, but any cards going to the discard at the end of your turn that are higher than level one, they are going to atrophy by one level. Because those skills that you're trying to develop and you're trying to grow to complete, those skills did not gain get any focus, you didn't work on them, so you will atrophy in those. And that is like the biggest crux of every turn. I don't want to lose my progress. I don't want to lose my progress. And it's going to happen. Again, the brain is like any other muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you, you know, 
aren't used to running for a while, then your muscles are going to atrophy. You're not going to be able to have the endurance. And same thing with your brain. If you studied Spanish in high school and you haven't used it in 15 years, you're going to lose it. It's the same thing with this. It really is. But it being that it's a game about recovering from traumatic brain injury, it just completely paints a different picture when you start looking at that and you're going through and you're like, oh, yeah, doing this, doing this crap. Well, I guess our education's going to downgrade or I guess our uh, budgeting is going to downgrade. And you're like, oh, and you start to think about that and you're yeah. like, well, shit, that's kind of rough. And it, it, I mean, I think the game, that's, that's what the game's trying to do is it's trying to, to uh, relay that information to you that like, this is how it is when you're recovering from traumatic brain injury. It's and just the atrophy that we experience in a normal day of day life is just like amped up. Extremely amped extremely up. Extremely amped up. And the game makes sure you know. The only other rule, I know I've went kind of into like detail with it. It's a game that visually, it's good to get a visual on the cards and that helps a lot. But there's one other card at the beginning of the game. You are going to take one of the skill cards out of the game for the entire game. It is going to be your trigger card. It is going to be the card that uh, is essentially the trigger for your traumatic event. In the deck, there is one trigger card that's red. When you pull it, when you draw it, you must play that. You cannot play anything else until you play it. You play that card. And what it is, is you have to pay the expend cost of your trigger skill. So for us, it was shopping was our trigger skill. When we pulled the trigger card, we had to go to the trigger skill, expend. You gain none of the benefit as if you played it. You don't get money. You don't get brains. You don't get spoons. None of that. And then if you have the ability to, you must progress that trigger skill up a level. Uh, if you cannot progress it, it will atrophy, just like everything else. Uh, but you must progress it if you can. Now, the what I found interesting about this is every time you shuffle the deck, that trigger skill's there. It's going to come up. You're going to hit a trigger card. You're going to have to run into it. So you kind of have to sort of plan for it at some points and say, I'm going to save this. I know that might be coming. But something that I really liked about it, and Haley, you can speak a little on this, is I like that every time you draw the trigger card, uh, it's something is triggering uh, your event, and you have to pay, expend the resources. It's taking your spoons, it's taking your money, it's taking you know some care and time, whatever it's going to take from you, it's taking that attention. But I liked that if you can get that uh, trigger skill all the way to level four, you can never complete it, but it will always be something that you live with. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be uh, really interesting because at the end, that was the easiest because it was only two spoons. It's only two spoons. Where before, it's like two spoons plus this, this, that, this, that. And it was a lot. But once you get through that trigger skill enough, it's, it still takes some of your time, takes some of your energy, those spoons, but it's not draining everything you have. Yeah, and so if we think about... Uh any kind of trauma, any kind of trauma that we experience. Let's say somebody's coming in to, you know, work through uh, some sort of trauma, whether it's a physical injury, whether it's a near-death experience, so on and so forth. Healing from trauma doesn't mean that we forget about the trauma. It means that whenever we have the triggers, we have the reminders, that we have, that one, we've exposed ourselves to the trigger, the reminder enough to where we don't have a level 10 anxiety anymore. Maybe we just have a level 2. Um, recovering from trauma doesn't mean that we never have anxiety. We never have any kind of uh, response to a trigger ever again. It just means that we have the coping skills to deal with it, and also our anxiety is a lot lower. Because if we think about like those early in the early in the game, whenever the the trigger was so 
life-altering for the day. It took away all of our spoons for an entire day. If we, if we think about how the brain works, so the amygdala is our motion part of our brain. So that's activated whenever we have any kind of, you know, anxiety-provoking situation or anger-inducing situation, so on and so forth. And we have the prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking part of our brain. It's also responsible for emotional regulation. It only has so much energy and so much glucose. If we've used all of our glucose for the day, then it's much harder for us to regulate our emotions, to remember to do our coping strategies. Now, I equate this a lot too. So let's say like you've had a really long day at work and you're really snappy with your family at home and then wake up the next day and you're like, oh man, I was really a jerk. Uh, Why was it so hard to, you know, keep calm? It's because by the end of the day, we've used all of our our thinking, we've used all of our uh, prefrontal cortex energy throughout the day that we didn't really have enough at home in order to regulate our emotions, to be more present with our family, to, you know, not be snappy. And so if you think about if we've had a traumatic brain injury and it's affected our prefrontal cortex, that frontal lobe, then it's already more difficult to allocate those resources to emotional regulation or to the tasks at hand. And so if you have something like a trigger and you're trying to calm yourself down, you're trying to get through it, you're trying to ground yourself, you're trying to regulate, then you're not going to have enough energy to do these other tasks because the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex are inversely related. They're kind of like a teeter-totter. The more one goes up, the other goes down. So you're having to use your prefrontal cortex to regulate those emotions. And if you're using all of your energy to do that, to overcome a trigger, you're probably going to be spent for the rest of the day. I hope that makes sense. Science. Science. (laughs) It does make sense, but that's accurately represented in the game with the trigger skill and all the skills and everything. And from from just, I mean, obviously when I say something is accurately represented, I've talked to Haley. Hi. She's the one who says, this, according to you know her research, her whatever, as a clinician, this is her understanding. And so I like being able to learn that from her that, hey, this looks to be done correctly. And I also just in general, like I can make my own assumptions based on as much the stuff I've learned from you that I can put it together and say, oh, I think because this, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And again, I don't have the personal experience. I've never gone through this individually. This is just what I understand, you know, through education and through working with folks. And so you know, if others have different experiences, I'm always open to hear what that is like. And I'm not saying that what I'm saying is accurate for everybody, yeah. but that's just what I understand. Well, of course. I mean, you have to go in with a, a level of knowledge. It doesn't mean you have to have experienced it to be knowledgeable. Yeah. I mean, it's a, 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 the same thing with doctors, right? You, you, you have a specialty as a doctor. It doesn't mean you've experienced your specialty, but it means that you've learned as much as you can to help people and learn from their experiences kind of thing. Yeah, and I work a lot with anxiety and trauma and have had no anxiety or trauma, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Anyway, that's pretty much all of Heading Forward. We went into a lot of detail there, but this is a game I think that deserves detail. And it's, as a game, it honestly is fun. Like, it's a good game. It, it, It provides a challenge. It makes you think about things. But it's one of those games that... As long as you let the game tell you what it wants you to hear, and as long as you participate and play it not just because it's a game, but play it because it wants to teach you something, then I think that you'll get the most out of it. But it is very, very much so something that I think if it sounds interesting to you just to go through one play of it, I do think it's worth looking into and picking up from Hollenspiel, if anything, just to uh, support the designer because he put a lot out there with this. Um, Amabelle Holland does great with her company with games like this. And I just, this is the kind of game that's like, 
I just really like what it's done, and maybe there's a place for it uh, within the like counseling community with different, you know, maybe there's a family that's has a family member, and this is a way that maybe this is a way they could better understand what's happening. I don't know. But it's one of those games I think is worth checking out. I highly recommend because it's it's a fascinating game. I've never, I think, played one that presents the same ideas or anything close. It definitely is a game that builds empathy. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic of today's episode is games that elicit empathy. But we first need another beverage. We do need another beverage. Uh, I didn't expect to talk for so <laughs> long on heading forward, but I also wanted to give it its appropriate time for being the kind of game that it is. Well, I also kind of did a, did a lecture there, too. That's a very short games. one. I probably should have let you lead the entire conversation. I'm not good at explaining <laughs> games. I am not. I can, I'm good at explaining brains, but not games. So I have to let you take the, the wheel. But what about the brain game? Brain game. Delton, take the wheel. Take it from my ham. What are you drinking now, Delty Poo? Ooh, tart. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, that's tart. Okay. I saw your dad in that. Like, that was your dad's face Ooh. right there. <laughs> yep, that is my dad's face. Ooh, except he's just being dumb. I can't cry. It's fine. So this is Key Lime Pie. From Prairie Artisan Ales, who we've talked about several, we've had several times on the podcast. Prairie Artisan Ales Mm. Key Lime Pie. It's a sour ale with key lime and vanilla. This is a 5% alcohol by volume. Uh, I was trying to find the rest of the, didn't you read a spot on here with ingredients or no? I did not. No, that was another one that had uh, marshmallows. Marshmallow flavoring. It wasn't marshmallows, but that wasn't in this one. Anyway, this is sour ale with key lime and vanilla. That's basically all you need to know. And I'm sure it's going to be delicious. It's very tart. You can see it's a regular mm. colored beer, maybe oh. slightly greenish. I just took a sniff and all of a sudden my mouth is just watering like crazy. It's a very, very tart smelling beer. Go ahead and take a drink. I feel like it's hard to make things smell so tart that it makes your mouth water. Like it's a, it's oh, it's not. You give me any bag of gummy candies and I'll, <laughs> I'll salivate all day. <laughs> but I love a good gummy candy. Let's see. It's Oh, there it is. Get your jaw good on that one. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's delicious. Yee. Oh, wow. It's got a lot of that lime to it. A it, good amount of vanilla in there. It tastes like a fresh key lime pie. No, I've had key lime pie from like a, a mix back mm. before we were vegan. And like, it's very like, oh, it tastes Ooh. like lime, but it's very like subtle. No, this is like, I bought some key limes <laughs> uh-huh. and I made you a pie from fresh key lime. You better eat this within the next six hours or else it's going to go bad. It's that fresh of a key lime pie. Mm, that's really good. I always have to tell people with sours, take a drink, let get past the shock, and then take a second drink and you'll taste it. I feel like you need to all contribute to our Patreon just to see this video and our wonky faces. <laughs> well, that's rude. I just made direct eye contact with myself while I made faces in the camera. And I'm like, oh, wow, that is a face. That's a really... Face made for podcasting. It's, it's tart. There's a lot of that key lime flavor in there. There's not much beer flavor, which is crazy. Then the vanilla that's in it, do you know what it reminds me of? What's that? Vanilla Tootsie Rolls. Yeah. It's a very, because of the key limes and whatever it is that's in, I mean, it's the malts, what, the sweetness within this beer, the little bit of sweetness in there blends with that vanilla for me to make that Tootsie Roll. Oh, that's delightful. 10 out of 10, would recommend. 
That's a really good beer. Prairie always knocks sours out of the park, though. That's Key Lime Pie from Prairie Artisan Ales. Woo! Okay, now with that done, <laughs> let's see what we can do here. So yes, for the topic today, as Haley said, we are doing games that elicit empathy from you. Heading forward, a prime example is it elicits empathy for you toward uh, basically this recovery from traumatic brain injury. Haley, do you want to uh, real quick give us a snippet of what empathy is for those who might be might not know? Yes, so empathy is the ability for you to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand what they're going through. Even if you don't necessarily feel the emotion yourself, though part of empathy can be feeling the emotion, it's just being able to understand. So a difference between sympathy and empathy is sympathy is like, okay, I see that you are angry over there. Maybe I don't understand why. Maybe I don't uh, feel it as well, but I see that you're angry. I, I acknowledge it, so on and so forth. So like you might give a sympathy card to someone who's just lost a loved one. Like you might understand what it's like to lose a loved one. You have no idea what they're going through, but here's my sympathy. Um, whereas empathy is like, okay, I feel what you're feeling. I, it's kind of like whenever your friend is calling the vent to you and you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm angry at your boss too. I don't know your boss. I'm angry at your boss too. That might be some empathy right there. You're really uh, we call it in counseling, like um, standing in the fire with them, whether that's an anger, happiness, whatever, sharing that emotion, or at least trying to understand where that's coming from. Okay. And so in heading forward, the game is trying to get you to understand the struggle of recovering from traumatic brain injury. Uh, and in terms of theme, a struggle to get your insurance company to understand that you're trying to make progress, which is a very sad aspect. But that's what heading forward is doing. It's eliciting that empathy from you. And again, uh, a lot of these games to understand the uh, empathetical, would that be correct? The empathetical, emp no. Empathetic. Empathetic? What's empathetical? What does that sound like? Hypothetical. There's another one that it sounds similar to, but anyway. Tentacle. No. Particle. <laughs> <laughs> to, to get the Participle. To get the empathetic uh, feeling from the game, for the game to actually have that effect on you, to, to, to give you that empathy for whatever it's talking about. All these games, I think you have to go in uh, with a little bit of, a, of a, a participation in the game or a little bit of I'm trying to see what it's wanting me to feel rather than just saying it's a game. Because you could sit down with Heading Forward and just say, it's a game. I'm going to play a game and play it and not really think too hard about it. Kind of difficult to do with this one. However, it is something people could do, but I think that participating in it and listening to it for all of these is going to be the best way to approach it because you'll get the most out of it and as an experience. Yeah, I know we talked about this on a recent podcast episode of like something that we like to do is really get involved with the themes and that's why we, we like the themes. And so with, with this one, like Delton said, you really have to, I'm not saying you have to like get into a mindset of, a, oh, I'm going to role play as yeah. this as person, but no. Just having an understanding of what you're playing, like, okay, I'm, I'm fighting with my insurance company, I'm building skills right now. I feel like that's enough to really elicit that understanding, because like the first few rounds you play, you're feeling a lot of frustration. Oh, I had one spoon, that's it? I can only do one thing? In the first, probably like half of the game, you just feel like you're just walking one step, take a nap, one step, take a nap, one step, take a nap. You're, it's, it's really slow moving. And it also led to some anxiety of like, okay, can we actually, can we actually finish this? Is this another one of those Hollisfield games? It's like super duper uh, difficult. But no, like after about the second half or, you know, the last third, like Delton said earlier, you're really moving and grooving. Then you kind of forget the theme of the game. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I can finish this. I can finish that, finish that, finish that. And then you're like, oh, whoa, 
you don't really realize how much of your skills you have built and how quickly it's gone. Yeah, exactly. It does a, such a really good job of, I think, just presenting that idea. And again, like Haley said, the participation. And one of the ways I like to look at participating in a game, uh, it's like when when uh, it's like when you're a kid and somebody's telling scary stories. If you're actually listening and with the intent of getting scared versus like, that's just stupid. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's more fun to just participate, right? To let them speak or something like, I think kind of taking that aspect, taking that idea, that, that attitude of, uh, even in role-playing games, I'm participating here. I'm role-playing this character instead of just not thinking about it, looking at it from, I don't know, is this making any sense at all? Oh, absolutely. I feel like I'm mumbling. No, it's, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause like in role-playing games too, you can just focus on rolling the right hits, making the best combinations of your skill sets and that's it. But you get a lot more out of the experience and out of the campaign if you try to make decisions based on what your character would or try to make, you know, plays based on what your character would and have an understanding of what your character is going through rather than just to get points for the game. Exactly. And that can bring us to one of our first things we were going to talk about uh, in this section of games eliciting empathy. And role playing games is probably one of the easiest things that can elicit empathy from people. Yes, and I remember when we played Brian's night game. So the mm-hmm. night game was a role-playing game that we were playing for a while. And there was one scenario in which our team uh, had a town that we visited. And for yeah. some reason, it was up to us to decide who has to be deployed to war and who doesn't. So this you know, king or whatever is coming through and said, oh, I need like 15 soldiers. I need you to pick 15 soldiers from, from the city. And so what Brian did, which was really amazing is he gave a character and a backstory to each of these soldiers so we had to review all like 20 of these people or whatever and make a decision on who we were going to send to war and like examples would be like the the elderly baker or you know if you want to send younger folks well these two are are getting married soon this one's expecting a baby this one has three kids at home and so in order to uh, appease our in that situation like we really felt empathetic because we were like oh I, I don't want to send, you know, the baker, they're 85 years old. I don't want to send, you know, this couple because they just got married. I don't want to send such and such because such and such. And so we, we, we felt so empathetic. We still felt so bad about sending people to war that we asked Brian, can we just send ourselves too? Can we be three of them? And he was like, uh, yes. And so we ended up going to war with him, which he was not expecting. But in that moment, we felt really bad about sending these people to war. And of course, if we weren't playing with the theme, we were, okay, just send like, Random, randomly sign, okay, these 15 people are going to war, okay, bye. But then we wouldn't have been able to spend 30 minutes contemplating and being involved with the story of who we're going to send to war. And also that wouldn't have led us to go to another part of the campaign that Brian had the right on the spot. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. And that's the thing is role-playing games can do that depending on the story. Uh, Because if you, like Haley said, if you're making decisions based on what your character would make based on your alignment, your backstory, your relationships, things like that, uh, it's a, a prime prime type of game to play for moments like that definitely absolutely so one of the other games which we've talked about several 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 times is holding on the troubled life of billy kerr this is a fully cooperative game from oh my god my brain farted from hub Hub. games i don't know why i couldn't think of hub by sweet boy michael yes uh this was a cooperative game where you are 
essentially playing nurses in a hospital taking care of a man named Billy Kerr who has arrived after a plane, uh, heart attack on a plane? Heart attack on a plane. A yeah. heart attack on a plane. He was going somewhere and got, uh, they had to land the plane for an emergency. And the game has 10 different scenarios. And the way that the game is focused is you're basically having to decide between medical care to keep him alive and palliative care to keep him comfortable. And all the while, he's talking to you and telling you stories and you're slowly uncovering his past with him of who his family is because I believe he can't remember his family, if I remember correctly. His memory's kind of spotty. His memory's spotty. And the different scenarios are different, like, uh, you have to complete different things with the memories, but it slowly progresses to where he's remembering more and more as you're going through scenario after scenario. And it's one of those games where uh, I think it more than anything, it puts you in the shoes of the nurses and makes you empathize with, I've got to give this man medical care, but sometimes he just wants to talk, but I've got a job to do. But if I let him make him comfortable, that's better. And the relationship is better. So I can maybe give him more medical treatment. And there's this balance of it. And also just balancing in general of what this person wants. And when we talked to Michael, so Michael Fox is a designer, and we talked to him about it whenever it first came out. And he said in, whenever he's doing playtesting that he notices the American audience tends to try to keep him alive, whereas the European audience tend to listen more to his story and uh, allow him to expire. And so really, as, as a nurse, whenever you're trying to you know, do both, it's like Delton said, I, I kind of felt the pull of, all right, well, I need, I need to shut up. I got I to gotta do this procedure here. We got to keep you alive. If I don't do this thing right now, you will die, and I will not hear your story. And so you almost felt like this rush and this panic of like, uh, yeah, no, you need palliative care, but you also need to stay alive. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, and it, it does. That game is still one that's one of my favorite cooperative games of all time because it's so fascinating and it's so interesting, but it makes you think about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I absolutely love that. And it, it's really, it made, it's made me think, too, um, because since we've played Billy Kerr, I mean, we got Billy Kerr, what, in 2017, 2018, something like, I think it was 2018. I think so. You know, since then, like, I've lost my, my grandmother, and I remember whenever she was, so she went the way that I hoped to go, like, she was only, she was living by herself, 89 years old, only spent a week in a nursing home receiving palliative care before she passed away. But, you know, I had this uh, this thought because, like, she had, like, her o- oxygen mask and uh, she kept saying, it's uncomfortable. I'm going to take it out. And, like, I'm not like, no, you got to stay alive. And then I, I had to keep I kept thinking about Billy Kerr. I'm like, oh, no, she she needs to be comforted right now. She needs that palliative care. And so it really for me personally, I kept thinking back to that game when she was going through that. Like, OK, we need to balance both. Like, yes, you know, I, I selfishly want her to stay alive. And I'm sure part of her wants to as well. But she also is at a place where she just needs that palliative care as well, that comfort. Yeah, exactly. It's a very real-life event for a lot of people. Yes, it was. And so the last one we have on... Oh, I guess we have two more today, don't we? We have two more. Do you want to talk about yours, the last one on the list? Yeah. Koleka. Right? I think it's Koleka. Koleka. (laughs) Koleka, which I believe Tyler said meant toilet paper in... uh, Polish? Polish. I'll look it up while you talk about the game. So this game is sold by museums in Poland, from what I understand. And what it is meant to do is to replicate the experience of buying your basic commodities whenever Poland was under Soviet rule. And so, for example, you 
most of the game is just waiting in line. You're waiting in line to buy food. Well, you get to the end of the line and they're out of food. Oh, it means queue. Never mind. It doesn't mean toilet paper. It means queue. It means line. Like you're waiting in line for toilet paper. Yeah. Like you're in line for toilet paper. And so I don't speak Polish, nor do I pretend to. Nope. Uh, and so you're waiting in line. You get to the end. Maybe they're out of the goods that you need. Or all of a sudden, they decide that they're switching over products. Or maybe the wrong shipment got to the wrong store. So you've been waiting in line for toilet paper this whole time, only to be presented with the aisle of socks. And so it's supposed to replicate the the tediousness as well as the frustration whenever you get to the end of the line and you need to get your your goods. Because the I believe, from what I remember, the object of the game is to fill your grocery list. Mm-hmm. So you might spend all this time waiting in line, like, oh, it's the last thing that I need. And we're like, well, son of a bug. Oh, my God. I'm trying to get apples, but now I just have contacts or whatever. Yeah, and it was all about, didn't you say it was it was communist Poland? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was under, under USSR. Okay. And it, it is. It's fascinating. Now, obviously, this is a much, I don't want to say this is a lighter subject of empathy, but it kind of is. It doesn't it's feel a diff- as heavy. It's a very different version. It does not feel as heavy, not that it was not important, and not that a lot of people didn't suffer through stuff like that. And it could be very, you know, I mean, that could be life or death for a lot of families. But uh, it's a very, very different subject, but it does have that empathy of, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Somebody cut me in line because they paid off the guard or whatever it was. Or, hey, they delivered the wrong thing. Or they moved which shops hold what. So now I got to go to this line. And I, it, it did make you think about that moment in time, that period, what people had to go through. I mean, there's a reason this was made, this board game, was to represent that. And it is pretty fascinating. Uh, like Haley, or like you said, it doesn't feel as heavy as the rest. And I think that that's just going to happen, uh, especially when it comes to things like mental health or physical and mental health, you know, anything with the medical stuff. Uh, but it's still, it does that. And it's a, honestly a fun game too. And frustrating. It is very frustrating. Well, the last one we've got on our list here is one we have not played, but I have read reviews and I own it. I backed it of course but it's john company second edition from cole Worley and whirligig games now i have read several reviews that talk about something in the game that i find fascinating uh this is a game uh cole Worley himself the designer talked about this is a game that's not built for one or two plays it's a game for built for a lot of plays to truly get into the game and learn what it's telling you what it's talking about what it's presenting and uh, the reviews that i read which were um some of the ones i read were I don't want to say high-end reviews, but uh, there is a person that owns a website called Space Biff. His name is Dan Thoreau, uh, T-H-U-R-O-T. And his reviews are, I'd let you read his review of heading forward. His reviews are very well written. They're very... Uh, thorough? Yes, they're very thorough. They're, I almost said introspective. They're very just in- interesting and well... He's got a good eye for what the game's telling you, what the game's wanting you to do and a good way to relay that within his written reviews. And he has a review of John Company, as well as somebody else I read, and maybe a couple more. But a lot of the things you do in that game, uh, basically John Company is kind of like the East India Company was for England. And essentially, it's a game where you may not want to participate in everything, but there is a little bit of it where you kind of have to if you want to win the game. There's a lot of complexities Within that statement, a lot of complexities within the theme of the game that historically you need to read about in the game, why it presents them, read about all kinds of stuff. But everybody talks about it makes you think. It makes you empathize with 
the people that were basically these families, some and other people within like England and London, from my understanding. And this is just from reading reviews. I haven't played it myself. Yeah, and I'm sure like there probably were families that were just like, oh, yeah, just like screw everybody. We're we're going to get as much money as possible. I'm sure that was a lot of people. But uh, I think Delton alluded to it too. Like sometimes it might it might feel for us like a, a bad decision, like a hard decision to make. Like I want to win. And ethically, I know that it's going to be bad things I have to do in order to win. Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, haven't got to play it, so I don't know for myself. But from my understanding of these different, uh, you know, high level reviews that I've read, that is very much mirrored across them. And I'm excited to play it because, I mean, it's it's Cole Worley. I'll play anything with his name on it at this point. But it's one of those things where I want to see what it's presenting. I want to see the ideas it's giving you. And I want to see that if it if it makes you empathize in the way that they're talking about and exactly to what depths and, and everything that it does. So I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Well, I wonder if it's going to be similar to Cleopatra. Because like in Cleopatra, you can take, uh, oh, what, what are they called? The tokens that get the, you fed to the alligators. It, so there are cards, Cleopatra and the Society of Architects, uh, originally published by Days of Wonder. And I think it still is. It went out of print forever. They now have a new version either coming out or it did come out. There are cards that have give you corruption. That's the, right. The cards can be getting extra good somehow or doing whatever. It's like they're awesome cards that are way better, but they give you corruption tokens, which go in a little pyramid you've got, and they're hidden from everyone. And at the end of the game, whoever has the most corruption can't win. They just get fed to the alligators. You lose. Your points are zero. But like in Cleopatra, at first, when you first are with the... Uh, given the opportunity to take a corruption token, like you're really hesitant. You're like, mm, I don't really want to. Maybe you, de- you decline it a couple of times, but then eventually you take one, and then you take another, and then it gets easier and easier and easier to become corrupt. Well, part of part of taking one, though, is you take one, and you're like, oh, no. And you don't want to take more because you know you have one, but nobody else does. But then you see somebody next to you take a corruption token. You're like, all right, somebody else took one. Somebody else takes two. You're like, well, they've got two. I can take one more. I'm not as bad and, as them. And going because of that societal social pressure or social, not even pressure, it's like release of pressure, you're able to then make the decision to take more and more corruption until mm-hmm. the end of it. You're like, ah, I got 15 corruption tokens. You're like, God damn. <laughs> and so I'm sure it's going to be similar whenever we play John Company 2nd Edition because like, like you were saying, like you, you don't want to be corrupt, but that's the only way to win the game. And so if you're really participating, and like Delton said, the theme of the game, then you're going to start doing some atrocities and some colonial yeah. terrible stuff. It'll probably feel a little icky in that regard, but I mean, that's also an idea that's being presented for the purpose of that in a way. I don't know. We've got to play it. That's really what it comes down icky. to. Yes, colonialism icky. That's a horsey go L. That's, <laughs> I can't remember what that's from, but. That was whenever we went to uh, Cabin Con last year and we met uh, Melissa. That was Melissa. Okay, that was Horsey Go L. She was, was talking how, how about to how to play chess. Horsey Go L. That's right. I forgot about that. I was trying to remember who it was. I remember I heard it. Oh, gosh. Well, that covers the topic. We have a question to answer for this episode. What is it? And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special bite-sized question. And the question for this episode is what, Haley? What are you feeling right now? I'm hungry. <laughs> You're hungry. I'm hungry. So hungry can kind of be an emotion. It can be one of the triggers to anger. What else are you feeling? Mostly hungry. That's got my fixation right now. A little impatient? Uh, 
not really impatient. Uh, I think I'm just hungry, but I feel good. Really, honestly, my my main feeling is, uh, I don't know what the emotion or the what the like, emotion would actually be. N- no, yes, but no, is I hope this episode is okay for v- listeners. <laughs> I don't know what that would be. I, op- cautiously optimistic. That's fair. I don't know if that's not an emotion, but I'm cautiously optimistic thinking about this episode once it gets all edited to make sure I hope people enjoy an episode that touches on heavier topics. Yeah. Fair. How about you? I feel also hungry. Hungry. But I also feel really happy. I've had fun this episode. Yeah. I feel like it's been some good conversation. Yes. And I'm excited for nachos. We're having nachos with uh, cashew queso. Hell yeah, brother. Jalapenos, vegan sour cream, salsa, and chips. Love. And love and more beer. And more beer. I think I might have to crack another beer. Crack a pack. Pop a top again. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. I think that covers everything today. Uh, it's a little bit longer episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Again, I highly recommend checking out Hollenspiel. Hollenspiele. I never know if you didn't pronounce the E like you would if it was actually Dutch. Anyway. German like your GoBots. I highly recommend checking out Hollenspiel. Uh, all of their games, especially heading forward. John Dubois did a great job on this. I'm so glad that Amabel published this with their company. And I just, it's, honestly, it's one of those games that's just kind of something special. And a lot of their games seem to have that kind of tone. So definitely check them out, hollandspiel.com or hollandspiela. It's L-E at the end. Uh, Go check them out. They do a sale at Black Friday where you get a little bit off, and which is where I bought, I think I bought three games and I got that Watch Out, that's a Dracula that little card game that we haven't played yet, but check that out. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, all that good jazz. If there's a game you think we need to talk about, a topic you want us to discuss, or a question that you would like us to answer on the show, or beers you think we need to find, you can send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can find us on all social media at Malthouse Games. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. You can find myself, even though I never use my personal, at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find us on, at least the podcast, on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You're listening to it right now, most likely, or else you wouldn't be hearing this. So you are, but remember, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. We're on Stitcher Radio, all that jazz. And again, if you want to go to patreon.com slash games, you can find the video versions of these, as long as I don't screw it up, where you can watch us sit here and talk back and forth. And see our faces. And see our faces. I think that that's going to cover everything. Wait. Oh. I have a joke. What's your joke? It's a joke that kept me laughing for like 15 minutes last night. Why? <laughs> okay, 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 okay. When Limp Biscuit played a concert in Tokyo... Why was he so adamant about going to the zoo? Why? He did it all for the tanuki. 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 <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye.